Fourteens. This is Crap Football, Crap Pundit. We cover the Premier League, Manchester City, and things that I like. In today's show, family anecdotes. Are we sure playing out from the back is good? Champions League group stage announcements and week four previews, including the North London Derby. Let's get to it. Okay, family anecdotes. Well, Aveline just finished her first week of kindergarten. Man, do they not tell you that it's fucking hard. You got to go up there. There's thousands of kids. It's a wonderful story. We got a great teacher. But, man, you just the first, the, the uh, emotion of it. You're, you're, you're just as scared as your kid is because you're up there. Well, me, Lisa and I are up there. We are trying to find out the right room. We've got Aveline in our hands. She's petrified. We're petrified. It kind of feels like a, like a high school or a first day of summer camp all over again because there's parents that have kids for years. They've been in school for five years. All this is old hat. They're laughing. They're cheering each other on. They've got the North Park, uh, you know, baseball team hat on and we're just here like what the fuck is going on who's gonna be our friend and then Aveline is there and she starts crying and I Lisa starts crying and I start crying holy shit it is uncomfortable and it is hard so the moral of the story is be prepared for the first day of school holy shit so scary. But Aveline's doing great now, and we just had another week. But we'll get there. It's just that first week. Holy moly. Another one. Unrelated, but a little bit on point, uh, just to keep with the, today's family anecdotes. I want to share a little piece of uh, information about me. I don't like to be praised. I don't like to be told that I'm doing a good job. I don't like to get kudos for doing good work. I hate it. I hate it. Uh, not that uh, my old boss, Greg Mills, is ever going to know this, but because I doubt he'll ever listen to the podcast. But if someone ever wants to listen to this, I'll tell you a good story. One year at AOL, it's probably 10 years ago now, more, I got a very good review for my job and a raise. It was exciting. You know, Greg was effusive with positive reinforcement and how I did so many good things and had all these things fired up. And in the moment, it didn't feel good. And afterwards, all I could think the whole time was, how am I going to do that again? How am I going to find a way to do a good job again? The pressure to succeed was so high that now at my new job right now, everyone is very positive in California. And I just stay on brand. I'm miserable. I'm grumpy. Everything sucks. I just yell, what the fuck, all the time because... Let's keep things, let's thrive on negativity in a good way. Be positive, be nice to people, but don't accept that wait, the work you're doing is good. It's never good enough. Do better. I don't think that's that bad. I don't want this, I don't come from the false praise era. I come from the, oh yeah, that's not bad. You could do better. Tell me I can do better. Anyway, let's, uh, 
let's transfer. That's that's the family anecdote. Dun, dun, dun. Let's uh, and personal story because I'm sure that's what people are more interested. I'm in. five minutes in, and now we can uh, we can talk about the football. So my my friend and I, Mike Salerno, who was on the pod earlier in the week, we uh, we started chatting about playing out from the back. So for the uninitiated. When a ball goes out of bounds or the play ends and the goalkeeper has it, playing out from the back means that you play the ball on the ground near your own goal. And the theory is if you play from the back, so close to your own goal, instead of kicking it and trying to win it back, you have control of the game. You stretch out the defense they have to come out and fill the gaps, and you kind of have this opportunity to get a rhythm of passing the ball and moving it around. And if a team lets you do it, it's fine. You just play the ball and you just move forward. The risk is, and this is where it gets interesting, is that other teams have adopted a strategy of pressing, which is tiring, difficult to do. But what it basically means is when someone plays the ball from the keeper and it's live, you send two guys after whoever has the ball all the time. And the idea is if you can get the ball closer to your goal, you have less distance to go. So there are only three there are three phases of work that a team has, right? When they have the ball and they're attacking, when they're transitioning and have just lost the ball and going into defense and defending. And when things happen most often are during the transition. So that would be called during the counterattack. So you have the ball, you lose it. That moment of transition is when it's chaotic and you don't organize behind your defense and all those numbers you hear, whatever. So a lot of teams follow this idea of playing out for them back with the notion of you get a rhythm, you can stretch out the defense, and you stretch the whole field. And so a lot of teams try it and aren't good at it and give up goals. Because they're close to their own goal, and they make a mistake, and the other team's better, and they just pounce on it and score a goal. You see it all the time. So it doesn't happen with the great teams. Like Manchester City doesn't lose the ball when they play out from the back. Uh, Liverpool doesn't lose the ball when they play out from the back. But it's this weird thing that happens. You know how, like, in American football, whatever the winning teams do, like, you know, if everything becomes a passing league, then everyone will start trying to pass the ball and you get, you know, run and shoot offenses or or the west the, the west coast offense or or whatever. Things like that that feel of the moment and everyone copies it. The the 46 defense, uh, all these things, these trends that have followed along, uh the spread formations now in the NFL. All these things follow along, the best team does it, so everyone does it, right? That happens in soccer too. It happens in soccer too. However, in soccer, you don't necessarily want to do that because the skill levels of the players are so different and it's a weak link sport. So you can have six guys who are good on the ball or out of your team of 11 players, including the goalkeeper, 10 of them are good. But if one of them is weak and loses the ball, depending on where they are, that is the weakness of your team. And teams will exploit that. So I don't know if everyone should be playing out from the back. The moral of the story is don't play out from the back unless you're fucking good. Just hoof it downfield to a big guy who can get the ball and score goals. Okay? Okay.
And now uh, let's do another transition. Another big point of emphasis today was the UEFA Champions League group stages. Ooh. So for the uninitiated again, the um, the UEFA Champions League is the biggest tournament and most important tournament in Europe. It is cross-country, and basically the top teams from the top five leagues all have more than one team in it. And then all the smaller countries like Holland and Netherlands and, and Austria in terms of their FIFA rankings, don't ask how this works, get their teams in and you get to play. It's the biggest tournament in the world. Whoever wins it is considered the best team in Europe. And when the groups come out, it's a big deal. So let us go through it. Group A, Club Bruges from... Belgium, cannon fodder. Galatasaray from Turkey, mostly cannon fodder. PSG and Real Madrid. So the top two teams go through. You would expect PSG and Real Madrid to go through. Group B, a tough group uh, for the Spurs fan. It's Bayern, uh, Red Star Belgrade, Olympiacos from Greece, and Tottenham Hotspur. Group C, Atalanta, Dinamo Zagreb of... Uh, Czechoslovakia? I don't know where. I don't even know where Zagreb is. Bosnia, Herzegovina? Uh, I think it's Bosnia. Man City and Shakhtar Donetsk. This is now the fourth year in a row that Shakhtar and City have been uh, shacked together. So Shakhtar is in the Ukraine. It's fucking far. Uh, Group D, Atletico, Bayern Munich, Juventus, Lokomotiv Moscow. So you can see the teams that you've never heard of are usually the teams that get the shit kicked out of them. Group E, Genk of Brussels. Uh, Liverpool, Napoli, and Red Bull Salzburg. Uh, Barcelona, Group F, Barcelona, Dortmund, Inter, Slava Prague, Group G, Benfica, Lyon, Red B, uh, RB Leipzig, and Zenic. That is the weakest group uh, by far. It does not have a clear favorite. And then Group H, Ajax, Chelsea, uh, Lille from France, and Valencia. Also a weird group. Chelsea will probably like its chances to get through, but I could see them getting upset. So the big boys... Uh, Liverpool's group is pretty straightforward. Real Madrid's with PSG again, so they likely go through in uh, Group B. Bayern and Spurs will expect to go through, but uh, Red Red Star is a very tough place to go. City have an easy group. I mean, I, I, who comes out second? I don't know, but City are winning this easily. So between Atalanta, Zagreb, and Shakhtar Donetsk, someone weird is going to make it to the second round. Group D, Atletico, Bayern Munich, Bayer, Bayer, Leverkusen. Excuse me. Juventus, uh, that's going to be Atletico and Juve are going to expect to go through. Liverpool, Napoli, Red Bull, Genk. It's got, uh, I would expect that Liverpool and Le Napoli will go through, but stranger things have happened. Barcelona, Dortmund, it, Dart, Borussia Dortmund, Inter, Slava Prague, Barca, and Dortmund. That should be a good group they'd expect to go through. And then this group G, Benfica, Lyon, Red Bull, Leipzig, LB, Leipzig, Zenit, St. Petersburg. God knows who's going to go through there. I'm going to go with the bigger leagues and expect that um, Leipzig, Red Bull Leipzig, and Benfica will go through because Lyon, the French teams, are historically terrible. And then Group H, Ajax, Chelsea, Lille, Valencia. I don't know what to think of this group. By pedigree alone, I'm going to go with Ajax and Chelsea, but I don't feel good about it i don't feel good about it spanish teams have a rough go of it 
the English teams have it easy. So I usually root for the English teams. Oh, one interesting team that isn't in here. Where are you, Man United? What happened? Y'all, you didn't make it. Sorry, Man United. You're shit, and you know it. <laughs> uh, so that's the that's the Champions League group stages, and that'll be started, I think, in about three weeks' time after the international break. They start to kick off, and those are midweek games that go on during the day. It's the biggest tournament in the world. You kind of really wait until the group stages are over. They really don't. They can be exciting, but they're not that exciting until you get until the knockout rounds. And last season's was incredible. Ajax, Liverpool against Barca, whatever, whoever Ajax was playing, they beat both Real Madrid and Juve. They lost to Spurs. They should have beat Spurs. Spurs with an incredible comeback. So uh, the Champions League can bring the coolest of football ever and uh it's an amazing event to get into but it is a source of pain for some joy for others for city fans we want to win it but we feel that there is a collective conspiracy against us because the ownership group of city is considered to be at odds with uefa i don't buy that it seems absurd, but stranger things have happened. There's there's weird things that happen in Champions League. Like everyone thinks that there's a conspiracy against their team. Everyone thinks that Real Madrid gets uh, gets help. Everyone thinks that Barca gets help. Everyone thinks that their team is is getting attacked. It gets this very conspiratorial madness, and it just so happens that City has had some fucking ridiculous things happen to it. And so uh, City fans are a little salty, shall we say. Has to do with VAR. I'm not talking about fucking VAR anymore. But we actually have the Premier League this week. So international stuff getting. We've got all the leagues going. But this weekend, the Premier League is back again. This is match day four. And the game of the week is Arsenal at home versus Tottenham. This is the North London Derby. These two teams have the most bitter fan rivalry in sports. It's not necessarily for success. It's about proximity. And it has been a war over the last few months. Neither team is coming off a win. There have been lots and lots and lots of draws in this matchup. Uh, neither team is actually playing well in these uh, in these matches. Uh, I'm going to grab the history in a minute. Let's see. I'm going to read the insights. Uh, Arsenal have only won two of their last ten against Spurs, but there have been five draws, so it's really close. It's their 2-5 and three, which means that Spurs is three, five, and two, which isn't too bad. Spurs have only won one of their last 26 matches going to Arsenal. So both teams are going to feel shitty about uh, going. Spurs did win the last meeting during the League Cup 2-0. Uh, so there's something there. But it's a really, really tight uh, rivalry, especially at the moment where Spurs has had the better run over the last five years 
than Arsenal. And there is a battle for supremacy in the North. Uh, Arsenal, historically the stronger team, historically the more trophies, and in fact have won more trophies more recently. Spurs really need to win a trophy. They don't have anything. They have a few North London derbies. They have a Champions League final, but they need to lift something. You need those moments. But both teams are in semi-crisis, crisis, crisis. Arsenal, for just not being that good, uh, you know, still not having a strong back line, losing to Liverpool like they always do. But this one is a bit stranger. You kind of get the sense that you kind of feel an upward trajectory for Arsenal, like things have settled. They had a really good transfer window, but now Emery's doing strange things. Tottenham, on the other hand, have had the stronger, the stabi- more stability over the last five years, but it's starting to crack a little bit with Mar- the coach, Mauricio Porzettino, and the board uh, and the president of the club, Daniel Levy. Players want to leave. Jan Vertonghen, the core of the defense, hasn't been playing. Uh, Christian Eriksen, the most and important creative player for the team, has not been starting because he wants to leave the team. Uh, Pochettino, the coach, has been saying strange things like, I'm not the manager, which is traditionally more of a GM role. I'm the coach, which is traditionally the structure of teams in soccer is is still fluid. There are guys that run the whole team from top to bottom, and there are guys that just coach players. So Pochettino's sort of in the middle there. It's a really fascinating game. You can expect a draw. Uh, I would think that there's a draw in this game. Um, A win... A win catapults both teams' season and really kicks it off. But let's go through the rest of the game. United plays at Southampton. That's not going to be an easy game for them. Palace coming off a win, go to Villa. Uh, Chelsea play Sheffield. That's going to be a big game, strangely enough, for Chelsea because they come off a win against Norwich. That was testy. It was 3-2. But now they need to start getting some consistency. We'll see if what they can do against Sheffield. We're pretty tough. Newcastle play Watford, don't care. City go to uh, Brighton. That should be easy. They're, I mean, are at home to Brighton. Not a problem for City. That would be a, a walk in the park. West Ham, Norwich. Bleh. Burnley play Liverpool at home. This is actually a test for Liverpool because Burnley are tough. They're in the goals, and they'll sit deep. We'll see how Sean Dyche and Burnley play Liverpool. I always hope that Liverpool will take points, that Burnley will take points off Liverpool, but it it should be a mismatch, but you never know. Leicester versus Bournemouth, don't care. Everton Wolves, that's Sunday. North London Derby's on Sunday. Really just that Spurs-Arsenal game is going to be the talking point. And then if Chelsea can get a second win on the bounce, Liverpool can keep winning. I mean, Liverpool are trying to go right now. They would have four wins in a row to be undefeated, and City will be right behind them. It looks like we're going to have the same race, and Liverpool and Manchester United have to beat Southampton to try and move on. That's the early game of the week. Early game of the week. That's all I've got. Apparently, that's very long. Uh, we're on minute 20, which is pretty long from the podcasts. Let me know uh, in the comments or anywhere you find this podcast if you want to hear something, something you liked, something you want to 
to have things go on. I'm happy to talk about anything. Politics, politics of sports, uh, individual teams, anything you want to talk about. Uh, one thing I should have sort of mentioned was soccer, especially with the Champions League having come up, football's fascinating because it teaches you, it, it reflects the culture of the cities or areas that it's in. So you learn a lot about teams and countries just by where they play. So Germany has a different football culture than, say, Italy. Uh, you know, uh, Serb the former Balkan states, Serbia especially, has different culture than, say, you know, uh, the Bal a second division team in Spain. So you get to learn a lot about different cities and how they view their team. And very often they're connected to political parties or to dissidents or something. There's a new team in Germany this year, Union Berlin, who were in East Germany and represented dissidents and were anti-police state. And they were punks and it was dirty and they have this very collectivist attitude about the team. So there's so many fascinating things. I'm happy to talk about any of those things, research them, and track them down. My name's Laurent Cortines. This is Crap Football Crap Podcast, and we will speak to you later.